0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: we'll talk with congressman andy levin today about the protect our democracy legislation which would rein in executive power in washington and we'll have a conversation about the michigan constitution and whether it's time to indulge a massive rewrite during a constitutional convention. We're going to hear from a former opponent of the idea who's now out front saying it should happen. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join. Before we get the show started today, I just want to send out best wishes to those of you who were affected by this crazy windstorm over the weekend, which knocked out power to just thousands and thousands uh, of people in, in Southeast Michigan. I hope that you have power back if you lost it. I hope you never lost it in the first place, of course. But I think this is a reminder, and we seem to be getting them an awful lot, of the changing climate and the consequences of that changing climate because we have so underinvested in our infrastructure. Over the summer, of course, we were reminded at how badly we have taken care of stormwater and other sewers that... Uh, that keep water out of our houses. Uh, Because of the storms this summer, we saw backups everywhere in the streets, in people's houses, in people's yards, over and over again. That is a result of us not paying enough money to keep that infrastructure up to date. Uh, Now we see this windstorm, which again, these, these kinds of weather events are different than what we have seen in the past, but we're just not ready. We're not prepared to weather the weather and not have catastrophic uh, losses. So uh, we, we really do want to focus on those things. We talk a lot on this show about infrastructure, but one of the things that you can be doing as a citizen, as a customer of DTE, for instance, is calling your representatives in Lansing and in Washington, talking about how we need to hold the utilities more accountable for the way they provide this power, but also how we need to, as the public, I think, accept the idea we need to pay more for these things. We need to invest more in them in the long-term sense so that we don't have these unbelievable interruptions uh, all the time. It is not necessary to live like this. It's not. We don't have to do it this way. We have chosen this over a long period of time, and we can choose something else. Okay, we want to get started today talking about state government. And I want to talk about the things in state government that come to your mind that don't work or maybe just don't make sense. We talk all the time about those things on this show the way we finance our public schools, our petition initiative process, which grows more and more out of control with every election cycle, it seems, how our judges are elected, and the way our legislature is structured. And I could, of course, go on and on and on with things about our government that are either outdated or just terribly inefficient. My first guest today says it's time to tackle all of those things at once. Retired GOP strategist and former general counsel for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, Bob LeBrant, says it's time for a constitutional convention here in Michigan. He has an op-ed in Crane's Detroit business titled, Michigan's Constitution Needs a Rewrite. It is part of Crane's Forum on Ideas for Reforming Our State Government Structure. And Bob LeBrant joins us now to talk about why he thinks it is time to overhaul our governing document, our foundational governing document here in the state of Michigan. Bob LeBrant, welcome to Detroit Today.
0: Well, thank you, Stephen. It's good to be with you.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you here to talk about this. I I have to say that back in 2010, which was the last time we had an opportunity to vote for a constitutional convention, I was one of the people who was really enthusiastic about the idea of it happening, and, and I spilled a lot of ink at the Detroit Free Press advocating for the Constitutional Convention and talking about all the opportunity that we had if we could just decide to vote for it. Of course, it, it, it failed pretty miserably, and I was uh, barely disappointed. We will get another chance soon, but but I want to start the conversation with you here you led the previous campaigns against convening a constitutional convention, not just in 2010, but also in 1994 and in 1978. So tell me why you have come to the light side of this issue. (laughs) What has changed your mind about a constitutional convention over the last 11 years?
0: Well, Stephen, uh, I guess I've had a conversion on the road to Damascus. Uh, (laughs) What... uh, what I think has convinced me is that uh, if we're going to have governmental reform, and if that's the goal, uh, attempting to accomplish it piecemeal, one constitutional amendment or one statutory initiative at a time, uh, I think is not the way to go. I think it's time to now take a bolder approach that you suggested back in 2010, and that is to... Uh, Convene a constitutional convention of elected delegates, empowered to draft a general revision of the of the 1963 Constitution. The 63 Constitution has been in effect longer than any of the four constitutions that Michigan has had over its history: uh, 1835, 1850, 1908, and of course now 1963. Uh, the, the 1963 Constitutional Convention, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I opposed a, a call for a new one back in 1978, it was actually a tremendous improvement over the 1908 Constitution, not only with the judiciary and the executive and the legislature, but it was simply too early uh, after that Constitutional Convention to once again go back and, and uh, uh convene a new convention, elect new delegates to that convention. Uh, in 94, uh, I don't think that case could be made. Uh, I think 2010, uh, there were some things, particularly term limits, uh, that had been added uh, to the Constitution back in 1992 uh, and some other issues that, that you could make a strong case maybe back then that uh, that might be done. But uh, what I'm concerned about is I've seen this growing tendency that I think you already spoke about of uh, kind of uh, uh, interest groups uh, taking the initiative process and uh, kind of writing uh, the constitutional amendment or a statutory initiative to their own particular uh, cause. And uh, and as a result, I think we would be much better off if, in fact, we elected delegates to a constitutional convention that would take a look at the entire document. Uh, certainly, I think there's some very necessary changes that have to occur as it relates to uh, petition drives. But with that, I'll uh, I'll, I'll let you <laughs> get in and, and, and ask me some more specific questions.
1: Right. So so as you know in your piece, we're going to have this question come up for us again on the battle on November 3rd, 2026. Um, let's talk just for a minute about how this process works. In our state, we get a regular opportunity to have a constitutional convention, and it's every 16 years. We, we normally say no, and, and frankly, we, I probably would say we should not say yes every time. But, but talk about why that opportunity comes up and uh, essentially what the, the, the structure looks like for well, well, us doing back something. In, yeah. Back in
0: 1850, uh, when they drafted a new constitution uh, at, at a constitutional convention held back then, Uh, They they provided in the Constitution itself that every 16 years, this question will be placed before the electorate as to whether, in fact, to convene a new constitutional amendment. Uh, That continued in the uh, 1908 Constitution. Uh, The 1908 Constitution is is, uh, interesting because uh, not only did you have to get a yes vote to convene a constitutional convention, But you had to get an absolute majority of those voting in the election, Mm -hmm. not on the question, but in the election.
1: In the overall election, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, and 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 as a result, in 1958, when this automatic question came about, it got more yes votes than no votes. But it didn't get a majority of those uh, voting in the 1958 election. We were electing Phil Hart to the United States Senate, Sophie Williams for another term as governor. But uh, although it got more yes votes than no votes, it it failed. Uh, George Romney, uh, the League of Women Voters, and the Michigan JCs did a petition drive uh, for the 1960 election, and that was called the Gateway Amendment. And and one of the things that they attempted to do in that Gateway Amendment is is change the way that uh, delegates would be elected. (laughs) Interestingly enough, uh, the state senate, Uh, the state Senate districts, we only, you know, would elect convention delegates, not the state house, uh, just the state Senate from those districts. And all those districts uh, were kind of frozen in place in the Constitution. Uh, That was before Reynolds versus Sims. And so it was really quite a malapportioned state Senate. Uh, The voters approved and uh, in addition, there was a provision in there that in April of, uh, of uh, 1961, there would be again a call for a constitutional con- convention. It passed, and, and as a result, uh, the 61-62 Constitutional Convention was held. That 63 Constitution provides that each state House district and each state Senate district will elect a constitutional Uh, a a convention delegate, uh, on the partisan ballot. Uh, One of the things that I think uh, we might want to take advantage of in this time period before November 3rd, uh, 2026, is maybe take a look at a gateway amendment in in 2024, Hmm. and, and, and instead of making these partisan offices uh, make them nonpartisan and, and have people, you know, not just have an R or a D behind their name, but actually express their interest in what, what kind of changes we need to make, uh, to a new constitution, uh, that would be voted on at least the call for the convention in, in 2026. Mm. So that's, uh, that's my kind of
1: take on that. Yeah. So um, I, I want to get uh, callers involved here and, and see what they think about the idea of rewriting the Michigan Constitution. Uh, give us a call and let us know if you think it's time for uh, a rewrite of our foundational uh, governing document. Uh, if we did approve that kind of change five years from now, Tell us what issues you would like that convention to revisit. Would it be public school funding, taxes, how the legislature is structured? Do you think there are other ways that we can make state government work better? It has been uh, 57 years since we uh, since we last redid our constitution in that way. Is that long enough? Is it uh, overdue perhaps for us to to take another sort of long lingering look? Uh, at our Constitution, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-57-1019. That's 313-57-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or you can hashtag uh, us on Twitter and we'll work you into the conversation. Anthony on Twitter says we don't need a house and a Senate. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Make Michigan's legislature unicameral with a few more members. It's an interesting uh, idea. I'm not sure. Not sure. I'm in favor of that, uh, but but it's something that that you could discuss uh, or could be on the agenda at a constitutional uh, convention. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here in uh, on the phones. Um, so, Bob, I want to talk about a little bit of the kind of groundwork that 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 would have led to a different decision in 2010, I guess. Um, uh, You were talking about this, perhaps, a a gateway amendment in 2024. But in terms of convincing people that this is not just uh, opening Pandora's box, right? I remember back in 2010, that the people who disagreed with me about constitutional convention were worried that if you had everything on the table, the special interests would take over and it would end up being about their agendas and not the people's. Uh, how do you get people to, to sort of think, I guess, a little broader about those things and not be so worried about, uh, about that but, but optimistic that, you know, if we work together and think about this together, we might come up with something that works better?
0: Well, I think one of the uh, things that occurred after the call for a constitutional convention failed back in 1958 is that, uh, you know, citizens started talking about a constitutional convention. And uh, it was a kind of an intense discussion uh, with, with the people of Michigan. Uh, George Romney headed up a group called Citizens for Michigan. The League of Women Voters was very actively involved, along with the Michigan J.C.'s. And that kind of conversation uh, occurred for you know a couple of years before uh, the voters went back and uh, approved uh, another call for a constitutional convention in 1961. And uh, and you'll remember, Stephen, that you know the the debate on whether in fact we really should hold this another constitutional convention was pretty much limited uh to the editorial pages of the newspaper that you work for mm-hmm. uh i don't think there were any ads that were run um uh, uh, there were some community forums uh john Logie and i kind of uh did the, a kind of lincoln douglas debate around the state uh talking about a constitutional convention but for the most part uh in 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 2010 yeah, you know, the focus in that election was, of course, on, you know, uh, electing a new governor here in Michigan, not so much a, a constitutional convention uh, to be called.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Madeline in West Bloomfield. Madeline, what's on your mind?
2: Uh, well, and I would like to see a uh, change to our Constitution guaranteeing the right to abortion, uh, I believe, totally believe in choice. I believe in the choice to not have an abortion if, you choose, if that is your religious or your um, personal conviction. However, I want to see the right preserved for women who need, for life circumstances, any, have the right up to viability of that uh, infant or fetus outside of a woman's body. I want to see the right preserved for all women to have that choice.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, you know, Madeline, that's an issue that I think comes up on both sides of, of the equation there. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who would like to see stronger abortion rights uh, part of the, the, the state constitution, for instance, especially if uh, the Supreme Court, as is maybe expected, ends up overruling or overturning Roe v. Wade uh, in the spring. Uh, but there are also a lot of folks in, in Michigan who would love to make this, the, the you know, one of the strictest anti-abortion uh, states in the country. And in fact, we already have a law in the books that passed the Michigan legislature. And um, uh, that would be the law of Michigan if they overturned Roe at this point. That is one of the, the strictest bans on uh, abortion. And I think that's one of the things that people fear is that a constitutional convention to get bogged down in issues like that rather than structural issues. Not that uh, they aren't both important, but that you wouldn't get to some of the bigger picture structural issues because you get stuck on something like abortion, which is a pretty divisive issue. But Bob LeBrant, what do you what, what do you make of that?
0: Well, I, I think uh, abortion is always going to be uh, uh, an issue of public debate. Um you know, one of the one of the issues uh, that the constitutional convention deals with are those issues, you know, that are current at the time. Uh, you know, back in sixty one, sixty two, when our, we held our last uh, constitutional convention, uh, uh, racial equality was an important issue, and they created uh, the delegates created a uh, a, a civil rights uh, commission. Uh, In the Constitution, I think that was one of the first uh, 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 attempts nationally to have a state incorporate a civil rights commission in their Constitution. Uh, You know, on on these kinds of issues, you know, we've prohibited the death penalty in Michigan since I think the 1840s, but it was never a part of the Michigan Constitution until the 1961-62 Constitutional Convention. And uh, and and that language prohibiting the legislature to enact the death penalty mm-hmm. uh, was was included in that uh, in that document.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Bob LeBrant about the idea of a constitutional convention here in Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you, Sam in Detroit, David in St. Clair Shores. You will be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
2: Bringing you news that matters. Stories that
1: impact your life.
2: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET.
3: Detroit's NPR station.
1: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. and As always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Bob LeBrant. He's a retired Republican strategist and former senior vice president for political affairs and general counsel for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce. He has a piece in Crane's Detroit business this week that is titled Michigan's Constitution Needs a Rewrite. It is part of the latest Crane's Forum on Ideas for Reforming state government structure. We're talking about the idea of a constitutional convention. We'll get a chance in just about four years now to vote to have a constitutional convention. Last time that question was before us in 2010, it overwhelmingly failed uh, because I think uh, people were really afraid of what a constitutional convention would Invite that uh, that it would uh, bog us down in fights over quote unquote social issues and not allow us to get to some of the bigger structural things. Uh, I think both sides of uh, issues like abortion, for example, uh, fear what the other would do uh, in a constitutional convention, uh, and so the idea is well, let's just avoid that altogether. Could look different in twenty twenty six. The the idea could be more appealing, and uh, some of the problems that we have, because we haven't had a constitutional convention in so long, could be so acute that people are ready to do it. The question is, what would you want to see changed in the Michigan Constitution if we did that? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put com- comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Sam in Detroit. Sam, you're up next.
3: Hey, good morning, Stephen, and good, good morning to your uh, distinguished guests and other listeners, too. And uh, thank you for bringing those uh, informa- informative topics to our attention. Uh, I agree that it is very important time now to start looking to our Constitution, especially when it comes to the separation between the action of the government and the burden that falls on the people's shoulder after they're making the wrong decisions or taking an inappropriate behavior when it comes to people's day-to-day life. And the life example of this is what's happening with the UIA. People answer the questions according to the criteria set up by the state, and then suddenly they change it with the guidelines of the feds, and now people are trying to fight back to... Uh, protect their uh, money what they were entitled to and the uia is coming back to them asking hey you have to pay this back so the separation is important and making sure that the government is held accountable about decisions and once they take decisions they can't ask people for uh, to pay the result of this decisions, regardless if it's right or or wrong Mm. so uh, if there is an insight about this i'd like also to hear your opinion guest, about what's happening with the uh, UI issues and is it a, yeah. a constitution decisions right or wrong? And yeah. thank you once again for your show and your guest.
1: A great question, Sam. I'm glad you called and asked. Uh, Bob LeBrand, talk about uh, the issues that, that Sam's raising here.
0: Well, I, I think, I, I guess I'd like to make the distinction between the Michigan Constitution and, and the Michigan statutes. Uh, you know, the, the Michigan statutes deal with issues like unemployment compensation. Uh, I I don't think we ought to, you know, load up the Michigan Constitution with a lot of statutory detail uh, that would require going back and getting another constitutional amendment adopted at at some future date. Uh, I I think the Constitution ought to provide uh, a, a structure uh, of, of government at the state and local level. Uh, I think a constitution ought to uh, put some limits on, on uh, state and local government. Uh, but for the most part, uh, uh, I don't think we, we should try to incorporate uh, Michigan's unemployment compensation system uh, is part of the Michigan Constitution. The legislature has that role, and the governor has the role of either signing that legislation or vetoing that legislation. And, and I guess I wouldn't want to see a constitutional convention get into that kind of minute detail of uh, trying to, you know, put in the Michigan Constitution, uh, you know, the unemployment compensation law or the Michigan election law or the Michigan campaign finance law, that's the role of the legislature, uh, as well as the governor. And if people don't like that law that's passed by the legislature, uh, then I think we enjoy in Michigan, the right of referendum. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think frankly, uh, over the years, uh, uh, having the legislature put tack on a, uh, You know any size appropriation to a a bill that they pass and make it referendum proof uh you know is a mistake and i think a constitutional convention can make that correction
1: Hmm. Uh, in fact we've got a a social media comment that addresses that very issue brian says before con con people need to understand what a constitution does it contains it constrains the legislature and government does not substitute for the legislature. Rather than speak to one medical procedure, make all medical choices free of government uh, intervention. Uh, let's go back to the phones here quickly to uh, David in St. Clair Shores. David, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, this is this conversation is great. I want to shamelessly give a plug here. Uh, if everybody just kind of finds themselves always on this station listening, give the station five bucks uh got a feeling that this is contributing a little bit more to all of us uh than maybe our Netflix uh <laughs> subscription, subscription might be. <laughs> we um, appreciate
1: that, David. <laughs> anyways,
2: uh anyways, uh you know I I love this and I really like the point that your guest just made uh particularly on appropriation, but I think the thing that always I come back to uh is when Michigan got rid of term limits now I, I my political consciousness didn't really start forming until maybe 2004 so this was you know, whatever 10 years after that uh, was done away with or so but you know I think that that has you know we you had mentioned the role of special interests. Uh, I don't know if it was more generally or just specifically towards the constitutional convention but the role of special interest I, I feel from reading since the term limits were enacted uh, I feel like specialist system only proliferated because you know think of lame duck sessions think of uh of obviously you know the kind of you do this for me and then when you come out on the other end after yeah. what three four five, however many years there'll be a position in this lobby i just be you know in the guest and the the guest was talking about referendum generally and i i feel that the ultimate term limit is us the voters sure uh you know uh, but that's just me and I, and I think that the lack of the the application of term limits has only kind of increased apathy amongst voters as well. It doesn't matter if I don't like this guy or such and such, you know, they're going to be gone in X years as well. I can't just keep this kind of in neutral. So thank you.
1: Yeah, David, I I really appreciate the call. I really appreciate you raising that issue. It's one of the things that I think, um, you know, is a great example of a constitutional change that got made outside the context of a, con- a convention but that you know very quickly after you know really raises the stakes i think for for that con- convention it, 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 the 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 folks who framed and advocated for term limits are among the loudest critics now of how it's turned out I mean, it's not it's not been great for us here uh, in Michigan and it is something that would i mean almost certainly come up at the uh, at a Constitutional Convention. Bob Lebrand, I wonder what what you make of that.
0: Well, as I reflect back on uh, 1992, uh, when the voters approved that question, I think with about 78, I mean, excuse me, about uh, 58% of the vote, uh, it dealt with term limits not only with the state Senate and the state House, uh, but congressional districts as well. And of course, uh, the United States Supreme Court said that you couldn't uh, have a provision in a state constitution that limited people's length of term in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. Uh, that was declared unconstitutional. Uh, I, I think that uh, term limits, uh, as I look at around the, the nation, uh, those states that have the initiative uh, all have term limits. And those states that don't have the initiative... Uh, Don't have it because the legislature uh, is is not likely to impose limits on themselves any more than the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate is going to impose term limits on themselves. Uh, But we uh, we definitely adopted the wrong model when we did term limits. Uh, We were we have the most draconian term limits in the United States, three two year terms in the House, two four year terms in the Senate. And these are lifetime bans. You serve three year, three two ter- terms in the House. You can never again run for the House of Representatives during your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, two two terms in the Senate is same thing. It's, a, it's it's a lifetime ban. Uh, if we just went to our neighbor to the south, uh, in Ohio, you can serve, you know, eight years in the state house, wait out a term, and you can come back and run again. Uh, and and serve in the State House of Representatives. I I think the better approach would have been, okay, you've got 14 years to serve in the legislature. How do you want to divide that up uh, is is your choice. You can serve all of that time in the State House, or you can split it between service in the State Senate as well as the House or all of it in the State Senate. And uh, that would have been, I think, a better model. Uh, unfortunately, I think one thing that uh, the unintended consequence of term limits is that when people get elected to the legislature, they're looking, uh, where's where do I land next? Do I, you know, do I become a lobbyist? Do I, uh, do I you know, do I run for the Senate? And, and there's a continual need then to raise funds and and rather than legislate. And I, I think that that's an unintended consequence.
1: Hmm. Okay. Bob LeBrant, it was really great to have you here to talk not only about uh, your peace in Cranes, but about this uh, really interesting idea as we get closer to 2026. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Stephen, thank you for the invitation.
1: Okay. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to change subjects here. Congressman Andy Levin is going to join to talk about news from Washington, D.C., including the House's passage of the Protecting Our Democracy Act, which would put limits on some of the executive powers that opponents of former President Trump say he used to weaken American democracy. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Almost a year after the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, we are learning more and more new and disturbing details about how former President Donald Trump and his allies tried to essentially just steal an election. Many of the very same people who helped organize those attacks on our democracy are now working out in the open to both undermine confidence in our elections and plan for how they might overturn the next election that doesn't go their way. For those reasons, Democrats in Congress are acting to curb executive abuses of power. Last week, the U.S. House passed the Protecting Our Democracy Act, largely along party lines, among other things. It would prohibit presidents from pardoning themselves, would beef up enforcement of the Emoluments Clause to prevent presidents from profiting off of their position in office, and attempts to curb presidents' ability to declare national emergencies in order to seize or maintain power. Here to talk about that legislation and other news from Washington, D.C., is Congressman Andy Levin. He is a Democrat who serves Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to Detroit Today.
4: Good morning, Stephen. It's great to be with you.
1: Yeah. So I noted a few things that the Protecting Our Democracy Act aims to do. Uh, What are some of the other provisions that you think are really important? And talk about how critical uh, Democrats think this is, given what we have experienced over the last four years, and especially on January 6th.
4: Well, you know, we have um, other... Uh, legislation that's so important to protect our democracy in the sense of voting rights and the whole uh, election process itself. But if you, if you really take partisanship out of it and you just say, wow, what happened during the four years uh, Donald Trump was there, uh, there was really whatever party he was in, he stretched the boundaries of appropriate behavior of democracy in many ways, and so the, this bill really attempts to uh, learn those lessons and prevent uh, misbehavior in the future. So it's other things, for example, include smooth presidential transitions, like that you actually, if you lose an election, you give over information and help the next uh, president get ready uh, to take office. Uh, remember about the foreign interference in the election in 2016 so there's provisions about you have to report that if it's happening and how to prevent it. Um, Remember that this uh, president uh, didn't want to bother getting people confirmed or wanted to put extreme people in who couldn't get confirmed into cabinet positions so he simply used acting officials instead of putting people up for senate confirmation so it deals with that. The whole question of the independence of inspectors general, right? He, he undermined them. He fired them. It, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Well, we learned that we better pass laws so that the independence of inspectors general, um, is, is not in question. Um, congressional subpoenas, you know, that that's an inherent power, uh, from the constitution. But we learn that we better uh, put it into statute so that they happen uh, quickly. There, it's clear how they can be enforced. So really, what Chairman Schiff, the Intelligence Committee, has done here, and what we pass through the House, is learn the lessons of the last four years uh, and put into law ways that we can make sure our democracy functions properly, regardless of whatever parties. Uh, holding the White House.
1: So uh, you're emphasizing there the idea that this is or should be a bipartisan idea and a bipartisan message. But even Republicans who voted in favor of impeaching President Trump after January 6th, people like Fred Upton and Pete Meyer from here in Michigan, they voted against the passage of this bill, the Protecting Our Democracy Act. So Tell me why Democrats weren't able to get more bipartisan support for this.
4: Well, I think that that speaks to the to the point that we really have a political party, one political party, one of our two major political parties in this country, that has gone off the rails of democracy completely, and that has become a cult of personality. Uh, different polls show 60 to 70% of Republicans actually believe the lie that uh, Joe Biden didn't win the election and that, you know, they, the big lie that the election was stolen and so forth. And so I, uh, Republican elected officials, Republican members of Congress are uh, catering to their base or of these, of these, uh, this cabal that's trying to uh, really overturn our democracy and have this kind of authoritarian personage Hmm. be in power. And it's, it's a crisis, Stephen. I consider this a real crisis for our democracy. Well, it's
1: certainly, it's certainly unexplainable in just raw intellectual terms, how you could think that uh, president Trump deserved to be impeached for his role in in inciting what happened on January 6th. And then, not want the legislation that would prevent a lot of the things that led up to that from from happening. And certainly next time Fred Upton and Pete Meyer are here in the program, I'll ask him about it. Uh, but another person who might be hard to convince about this bill is President Biden. He's indicated that he supports the larger goals, but it's not clear whether he'll support some of the things that would affect his presidency most Directly. And here, I think we get into the idea that everyone who winds up in the White House, I think, ends up being a defender of the powers that come along with uh, with that office. What's your sense of whether the White House is even going to go along with what you're you're doing here?
4: Well, you know, the, we would have to it would have to pass the Senate as well as the House. And, you know, there's there's not much prospect of that until we can get rid of the filibuster as we should or modify it or elect, you know, a stronger Senate with that's more democracy oriented. But I do, I think the discussion between the article one branch, the Congress and the article two branch, the, the white house or the executive branch and, 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 you know, tussling over the boundaries of our various powers is a healthy and important one. And I, and I think Joe Biden comes to it in good faith and uh, you know, it would be, it would be great to really have a serious discussion about, okay, you know, which aspects of this are you troubled by? Do you think it goes too far somehow to appoint, to, you know, protect whistleblowers? Um, Another provision I didn't mention yet, um, or as you mentioned, you know, the preventing the the president from uh, declaring national emergencies to stay in power, Um, What what parts of it specifically don't you like? And, you know, I'm sure we'd all, we're all open to tweaking it around the edges, but I doubt Joe Biden has trouble with 90% of what's in here because it's really putting guardrails around our democracy in a very fundamental way and preventing things that, um, you know, Joe Biden would never consider doing. For example, welcoming foreign interference in an election to benefit him i mean anybody who's a patriot would say yeah i want to be the next president or i want to win my re-election to congress but i'm going to win fair and square dang it and i'm not going to accept any help from some foreign country no way would i do that right you know so i think most of this uh joe biden would be fine with and then if he wants to fuss about some of the boundaries of it we'd be happy to discuss that
1: yeah so I'm talking with Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township who represents Michigan's 9th district in Washington. We're talking right now about the Protect Our Democracy Act, uh, which aims to rein in some of the excesses of um uh, of executive power that we have seen on really vivid display. In the last four years, uh, as Donald Trump was uh, was the president of the United States, uh, there's some question about whether even President Biden, uh, who is a Democrat and a much more respectful, I think, uh, public servant uh, than Donald Trump, uh, will go along with all of the provisions of that act. Uh, I also want to talk with Congressman Levin about uh, Oxford, Michigan, which is part of uh, the district that he represents in in Congress and we're going to talk about a few other things. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us whether you support efforts in Congress to curb executive abuses of power. What do you think needs to be done to counter attempts to undermine our elections in America, which let's be honest, that is high on the agenda of the people who were unsuccessful at undoing the results of the 2020 election. They are busy trying to gain power and responsibility that would allow them to disallow votes uh, the way they tried in 2020, in uh, 2022, or in 2024. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Andy, I want to talk about Oxford. You were there earlier this month for the vigil for the four students who were murdered at the high school there. I wonder what you heard from the community there. I mean, I, I you know, we, we keep talking about this in policy terms here on the show, and that's really important, There's a a number of policy things we ought to be thinking about and probably changing. Uh, But this is also a this is also uh, such a personal and community issue. And I I am really eager to hear more about how this community is is dealing with this.
4: Absolutely. Well, first, let me just made clear that, that Oxford is in, um, the eighth district in Alyssa Slotkin's district. It is near my district. I've been to that very school for my kids played the soccer game there, or a basketball game. I've been in the gym. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm an Oakland County dad of four, so it's very close to me, but it's in Slotkin's district.
1: That's right. It's in, it's in another district. I've got it yeah, all mixed that's okay. up there.
4: Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, You know, it was—it's just devastating, Stephen. And I think one of the things that we just don't appreciate is the devastation of of gun uh, violence, of of massacres like this, of of the individual gun deaths that happen so often. The the devastation on families, on you know, friends, students communities that go last for years and decades. Um, I mean, we've had over 530 mass shootings in 2021 alone, 34,000 deaths from guns. And so, you know, the, the, the toll of this is just not discussed enough. So in Oxford, I mean, the community is reeling and just think of each of those kids their friends, their boyfriend or girlfriend, the kids in there who went to chemistry class with them, the kids that they played with on the football team or or were in the bowling team or anything like that. And just to have a 14, 16, 17-year-old person just taken away in an instant, and then, well, it could happen to me. You know, so the kids are afraid. They're trying to cope with it. It interrupts their learning. It scars them and you know on that stage at the at the at the candlelight vigil uh, the local clergy the local police and fire leaders you know everybody is uh, just so devastated by this and of course speaking as a parent you just there's no nothing you can say about the idea of losing a child like that I I would be devastated, Steve, and I can't even imagine. So um, I do, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of healing for that community. It's unbelievable how they've come together. They're so, you know, they've been so wonderful and so strong taking care of each other. But we do have to turn to policy solutions to stop this carnage, which literally happens every week in America from the fact that we have you know for every 100 Americans there's 120 firearms and there's no other country that's even close uh, no other country even has 40 yeah i mean so and then you know obviously safe storage laws come into focus here so it's a you know i my reaction is always that i'm sick of thoughts and prayers and it's time for those of us with the power to act to act and pass laws some of which steven 80 90 percent of Americans support yeah gun People owners support, support this. republican yeah. support democrat support, and yet the gun lobby has such a stranglehold over one political party that we don't get make any progress it's just it's shameful
1: yeah. okay uh andy levin democrat from bloomfield township It is always great to have you here to talk about these issues on Detroit today. Thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Stephen. Take care.
1: We'll talk with you soon. That's going to do it for us today. I hope you come back tomorrow when we are going to talk about a $3.3 billion spending bill in Lansing to help replace lead water lines all over the state. Think of not just the water crisis in Flint, but the one that is still going on in Benton Harbor, and who could be next if we don't get moving on that project. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.